Hello and welcome to the game line coming to you live on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, and a little later on in podcast form. I'm your host, Ben James, and I'm joined today by Matt Southcombe and Simon Thomas. This Grand Slam week is building up very nicely. Wayne Pivak's named his team to play France. Just one change to the starting 15 that won out in Italy last weekend. Gents, um, as I say, it's 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 building very nicely, this one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a fairly sort of quiet week in many respects, I guess. It's been a bit of a strange one. Perhaps it's the sign of the time sort of influencing things as well. Um, but it's been a steady steady little build-up. Um, from a Welsh point of view, you know, the, the tournament's probably gone uh, better than expected. Um, so, you know, to arrive at this point is a, is somewhat of a surprise. But, you know, this is where we are. Um, you know, the, the, the team and, and Wayne Pivak deserve credit for for getting uh, getting themselves to this point, um, but arguably the the toughest challenge awaits. And so, Simon, let's just um, let's just crack on with the team then. Um, just just the one change uh, from the side that the one out in Italy. I guess that's that's no real surprise, is it? But what do you make of the decision to bring back Adam Beard, the head of Corey Hill? There's one word that sort of jumped out to me in Wayne Pivot's press release that came out with the team, and that was continuity. I mean, it's something you've seen pretty much throughout the tournament. If you look at all the changes he's made along the way, they've generally been injury-related, doesn't they? You know, he's had the, the one team pretty much in mind when everyone's available, and that's what you've gone back to now. Uh, I think it's what we expected in terms of um, Adam coming back in. He'd been excellent in the first three games. Line-out caller, um, key, you know, to the improvements in that area along with Ken Owens. And also contributed significantly around the field. You know, you think of that pull-out pass for to release Halaholo ahead of uh, Resummit's try. And it was interesting when um, he spoke today. Adam spoke well, but um, I also remember I spoke to him after the Ireland game. And he was talking then about um, having been left out in the autumn because, of course, he wasn't in the squad at all there, and he's kind of gone from zero to hero really. Um, and talked about what he'd being told he needed to do by Wayne Pivak. And again, you come back to this word, and it was consistency of performance, and he needed to deliver that. Um, also talked about, you know, the need because of his height, you know, maybe to change his, te- his technique a little bit and arriving lower at the breakdown. And what the end result has been a player who has, in the three games he started, really delivered on a consistent basis. Run the line out, run the line out well. He's one line-out ball. He's handled well. He's helped the ruck clear at efficiency. But I guess you come back to one thing and one thing above all to what Pivak said in today's press conference. He was talking about the selection and he said he's big. We're up against a big team and he's big. And he is. He's six foot eight, you know, probably 18 stone plus. And he does have that physical edge over Corey Hill in size-wise, doesn't he? And you're going up against the monster French pack. And we brought in one of the biggest men in Wales. And um, and also, but I mean, it's it, it is it's great, isn't it? That you've got two quality players, you know, fighting for that position. It's not just there; it's across the squad. And it does go back to what John Hampton was saying in the week. You know, the autumn was there for a purpose. <laughs> in Beard's purpose, it was almost like a kick up the backside to get him playing like this. And for a lot of other players, it was to have a look at them and build depth and strength. And you can see that now with the likes, you know, and there's no Jake Ball in the 23, no Will Rowlands in the 23, a load of other players you could mention. So they've arrived at this point, heading for Paris, in pretty good shape. Because with, with Adam Beard, the, the quote that always sticks out for me is, is what Warren Gatlin said when he first burst through, which I think was, 
along the lines of something like you can't coach a guy to be that big. I think he used to say can't coach a guy to be six foot ten, which is you know probably giving Adam Beard a bit too much credit in terms of feet and inches there. But all the talk this week has been about from the Wales camp has been about France's physicality. So having having someone in the in the boiler room like that is is massive, isn't it, Matt? It is, mate. Yeah, and you know one of one of his greatest strengths as well is is more defence. Um, you know he's. He is a big guy, and he's got big, long arms, and and they reach into some, uh, you know, some hard to reach places. So, you know, it's the physicality that he brings, um, you know, not not just in the loose, but in the malls as well, you know, and that sort of technical know-how and being able to just get in the way and disrupt, and you know, that's been that's going to be crucial. And um, you know, like you said, you know, that Warren Gatlin quote is a classic, and. And and it does ring true as well, you know. When he hits people, they stay hit, and and he hurts people. You know, perhaps got a bit of work to do in terms of mobility and things like that. But you know, there's plenty of time to develop that side of his game. But first and foremost, he's an absolute unit. And um, you know, defensively, as Simon alluded to, the the quote from Pivak today is, you know, he's a big man, and we're going to be up against big men. You know, this it, it does. You know, you see the. The rationale in the selection, one hundred percent, and I think it's another example as well with Beard of what we've talked about in the in the past in this campaign as well. It's another player who was who was left out, um, who was dropped and and perhaps challenged by Pivac in, in ways that he hadn't been before. I mean, you know, Beard's arrival on the international scene sort of heralded their longest ever winning run. <laughs> so you know, he kind of had it easy for it, not easy, but. You know things went his way a lot in in the early part of his Test career, and and Pivac challenged him, and and it's another example of that sort of that sort of gamble from Pivac in that sort of man management style of of challenging players and and being unafraid to drop them um, has obviously come and, and paid off for him again, and you could say that for a number of other players as well. He's um, he's the Inspector Gadget of the Welsh team. He is, you know, uh, <laughs> for people of a certain generation, actually, all the younger generation than me. But with that telescopic reach, he does the role there that Luke Charters did for a number of years for Wales. Just nuisance value. Just caught in his arms, his telescopic arms across, disrupting the mall. Even if he doesn't win the ball, he slows it down and maybe earns a turnover. It just slows things down. And France, traditionally, the driving mall is a big part of their game. Um, but he'll be crucial in that, in that role. Um, and it was it was good today listening to him talk. He said, you know, if you'd have told me in the autumn that I'd be, you know, playing the majority of games in the Six Nations, you'd be going for a Grand Slam, I'd have just laughed at you. And it's great to see someone who was sent away to do a particular thing, which was deliver consistency and performance and come back to perhaps the levels he'd been before and has done that, has then transferred that to the international stage and it's really delivering, and because he's a really nice bloke, and he's worked hard, um, and he's deserved this selection, and uh, he'll have a key, key role to play on Saturday. Absolutely, they can often feel like empty words, can't they? Coming from coaches, so, you know, sending him back to the regions to sort of play their way back in a form. But it's good to see that he has actually done that. Um, I guess one of the other sort of selection, not issues, but sort of question marks coming into this week was. Inside centre, uh, you know, would, would Pivak go with Jonathan Davis? A lot of people calling for Willis Halaholo uh, to start. We got a question here from Lawrence Carr. Um, thoughts on Jonathan Davis? Obviously, defensive organiser and maestro, but is he fit enough and quick enough to play in that twelve position? How, 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 do you, how do we think he's gone in what is a relatively unfamiliar position for him? 
Yeah, I think you've got to look at it. You know, it's against the backdrop of a man who has really struggled to get a run of games since the World Cup. Um, you know, he's come back from that knee injury, um, and always it's always felt since then like he's been battling to rediscover his best form. Um, so, you know, I think you've got to view it through that lens. Over Christmas and um, in January, particularly, he looked, you know, a little bit out of sorts, um, struggling for form, short of confidence, maybe. Um, so. You know, I I was surprised at the way he was brought back into the side. But that being said, you know, I don't think he's done a lot wrong. I mean, perhaps hasn't caught the um, attention like he can do at times. Um, but I don't think he's done an awful lot wrong since he's come back into the side. And, you know, Wayne Pivak's obviously very confident in him. You know, Jonathan's got a lot of experience, a lot of experience in top quality, um, uh, sorry, high level uh, matches, obviously Lions Test Series World Cups and Six Nations Grand Slams of his own. So, you know, he knows what this is all about. Um, you know, as, as the commenter touched on then, defensive organiser, been a big help, I think, for, for George North as well to, to make that transition into the midfield, to have someone like Jonathan inside him to to sort of help him through that process, I think has been um, has been really useful. Now, as for, for Halaholo, um, you know, I think at the moment, I think his role will be off the bench um, for the time being. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for him coming onto the field. Um, as the comment says there from Dylan Davis, um, I think there's a lot to be said for him coming on in the last quarter of a match when, you know, typically defences are a bit tired. He brings something different to, to, well, he's very sort of unique in many ways at, at this level. You know, there aren't many centres like him at, uh, at test level. They tend to be, you know, more direct and, and bigger physical men. So Halaholo does bring something different, but... From the start right now, um, you know, particularly if we look at this game, I don't think you choose a Grand Slam match to give someone their first start at, at test level. I think, especially when you've got a, a two-time British and Irish Lion with, what, approaching 90 caps uh, at your disposal as well. So, uh, you know, I, I see I see Pivak's reasoning for this one. I, I don't think Halaholo is a, is a starter yet at this level. Um, and I think Jonathan Davis has been... Uh, what you know, six and a half, seven out of ten by his standards so far. Um, so you know, why why not see this Saturday as a as a chance for him to just build up to what may probably, you know, there's every chance this could be his best performance of the championship. Having had a run of games, the word you used there was experience, Matt. And I mean, I think that is crucial when you look at the selection as a whole. There's 987 caps in this Welsh team. You know, it's a record once again, um, and 14 of them. I've been involved in experienced Grand Slams in the past, Jonathan being one of them. And I think that's a key factor, particularly perhaps with his selection. Um, also, I think if you look at it, France have got a lot of power and experience in their midfield with Gail Fuku, Gail Fuku and Fakatawa. And I think Jonathan's defensive organisation and solidity there will be important. And he is starting to gel quite well with George North in midfield. You saw that for North's try, which came from, you know, and they settled offload out the side from Jonathan Davis. I think just generally, Pivak is, is just happy with the way it is now, where you have Sheedy and Hollow coming on together to form a new midfield partnership. You know, around 45, 50, 55 minutes, game's breaking up. They've got the ability to do different things. It's one of those classic ones, and if it don't broke, it isn't broke, don't fix it. And he's, he likes the way things are set up, solidity at the start, solid at the start. Open it up a bit towards the end. It's worked for him so far, so you can entirely understand why he's gone the same way again. 
Absolutely. It's also interesting uh, in terms of how sort of inside centres tend to play in pivot teams. You think of when Hadley Parks and Scott Williams are at the Scarlets and because of what your fly halves do, your inside centres become first receivers more often than not. And I think we've seen John Davis do that a lot since he's come in. He's had to play a first receiver role, which is probably something he's not so used to. Halfpenny did it at the start of the tournament, but since he's been out, John Davis has had to sort of add those strings to his bow. So I guess it is very much a work in progress on that front. Uh, sticking with the point that you made, Simon, about experience, though, you, you mentioned, was it 987 caps? That's a new record by about eight caps. 14 of the 15 starting uh, side have, have won a Grand Slam. The only man who hasn't is Lewis Rees Samet. And let's be fair, I don't think he's lacking confidence on the test stage. This has to count for something, doesn't it, on Saturday? Yeah, and it's not just the starting line. If you look at Nicky Smith coming off the bench as well, ahead of Reese Carey, experience there. Um, if you look at scrum half, Thomas Williams is available again. Could have taken a real punt and thrown him straight in um, after six weeks because that was how the championship started. But again, they've gone for the experience of, of Gareth Davis there to start, 60-plus caps. Uh, so it is a big factor. It's that whole thing, isn't it? When you've been there, done it, and got the T-shirt, it does help at times like these. And you just hope there'll be a lot of Welsh fans with the Grand Slam T-shirts come Monday morning. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, hopefully we haven't made the mistake of uh, printing them early. I was reminded of a, a Grand Slam attempt, was it 10 years ago, um, by our neighbours, which uh, ended up falling at the final hurdle, which actually brings us on to a comment very nicely. That segue somehow worked better than I expected to. Um English media this morning um, suggesting that Wales would be the worst ever Grand Slam winners if they beat France. Pip Pivak batted that off, to be fair to him, in, in the press conference. But why why aren't Wales getting the credit they deserve? That question comes from uh, Jamie Phillips. Question, yeah. Jamie. Who actually said that then? Matt, who, who said it, Ben? Who, who, name, the, <laughs> name, the, name the guilty person. Who said it? Well, I haven't actually read the article uh, myself, <laughs> but... Uh, one thing I will say on that is, you know, we three of us sat here, we all know that, you know, these sort of opinions are subjective and people are free to have them. I mean, we'd be hypocrites if we, uh, you know, shot down anyone for, for writing that sort of thing. Uh, one thing I will say on that is, you know, me and Ben have talked a lot about this in, in this campaign. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk as well about now how the autumn series looks now. Um, you know, Wales have scored 17 tries, which is equal to their Six Nations record with a game to spare. Um, so I think you do have to, I think a lot of the criticism that's been levelled at Wales in the last you know, four or five months was valid. Um, you know, I know the autumn was an experimentation period and all the rest of it, um, but ultimately the players there were good enough to perform better than they did. So I don't think this takes away from the criticism they received in that campaign, but you do look at it slightly differently now. And as for the, the way the Six Nations has gone, there was another piece as well after the England game that was written um, in the Scottish press, which basically said that Warren Gatland is now going to favour lucky Welsh players uh, in his Lions team and bemoaning the fact that um, now that the majority of the Lions team may be Welsh and Scottish players were going to miss out as a result. And, you know, I, 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 gave, I gave Wayne Pivak a, a fairly hard time at the start of this championship because of the way they were playing. I, I know they were winning games, but it didn't feel like they were the finished article. But then they went and put 40 points on England. Do you know what I mean? Like the second best team in the world before this championship and everybody's favourites to win it. And you just start to think, well, you need to start giving them a bit of credit here now. Like, 
all right, they had a red card in the Ireland game for, you know, so Ireland were down to 14 men for over an hour. And that's fair enough. Xander Fagus done the red card in the second half again. But ultimately, you've got to look at the Welsh side then and say, well, maybe they've just got really good discipline. You know, maybe they've just got players who know that you can't drop a shoulder into someone's face. At the end of the day, it's not their fault. And they've only beaten what's in front of them. You know, they may have had the rub of the green with one or two decisions in the England match. Show me a Grand Slam campaign that hasn't had the rub of the green. Do you know what I mean? This happens every time somebody wins a Grand Slam. So I think some of the criticism now has, has, be, has become slightly unfair. You know, they put on a thoroughly professional performance out in Rome last week. And, and if they go on to win a Grand Slam, then they will have deserved it. Nobody flukes their way to a Grand Slam. One thing I will say, though, is that Saturday is a big match for Wayne Pivak, not just because of the silverware that's at stake, but it's because of those sorts of comments that we've seen uh, in the last fortnight or so about how Wales have been lucky. You know, they've fluked themselves to a, themselves to a, crip, a triple crown. You know, they're lucky to be in this position. If they lose on Saturday, then those comments will start to, to come about more frequently. If they win, then it shuts the whole debate down. Yeah, it's One interesting man. the stuff about um, being lucky about red cards because obviously, you know, Wales aren't going out there with the intention of getting players sent off, but that's that's testament to what they're doing so well in defence. The red cards come as a fact that Wales are horrible to play against with ball in hand because they're really resolute in defence and they're really tough to, to sort of break down at the breakdown. So you have to commit numbers. You have to come from deep to, to enter rucks. And you, you all it takes is one moment of loss of composure in 80 minutes and suddenly you've got a red card and that's that's where I think it, it's it's a daft thing to describe stuff like red cards as luck when the red cards they're not unforced errors like in tennis terms these are these come from Wales doing the basics and, and some really nitty gritty stuff in defence really well I had um, one gentleman tweeting me this week a Scottish gentleman punter <laughs> and he described Wales's campaign in the Six Nations so far as this Red, red, ref, and Italy. Uh, which I love it. That's brilliant, isn't it? You know, bring it on. It can be as salty as you like. Just look at the table. Wales are, I think, it's nine points clear at the top of the table going into the last match. I think you'd have settled for that going into the start of the championship. They've just got better and better, and they've played some really good rugby, and they've scored a lot of tries. And let's not beat about the bush. Discipline is a key factor in international rugby. It's absolutely pivotal. And Wales now have another card. How long is it now since Ben? The, 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 the length of the, the run is growing, isn't it? It's going yes. back to 20, 2018. It's, it's an impressive record, you know, both under Gatland and Pivak. They've been squeaky clean in terms of any kind of foul play. Now, obviously, you know, touch wood that continues now in Paris. Because <laughs> um, we saw, obviously, in the World Cup game, how, in, you know, in, you know, in important uh, against France, how important the discipline is. Yes, they've, they've earned a lot. There's been luck at times, but there's luck in sport. But they've also earned a lot of luck from the way in which they've turned things around because, you know, there was a lot of pressure on them going into the Six Nations and they could have really got in, in on themselves, but they haven't really. The number of tries, you know, shows how they've expressed themselves in attack, huge determination and defiance in defence, resolute to the breakdown. And most important for me, and I come back to it, I've said it a lot during this this campaign, the biggest thing of all is they've sorted out the line-out because it was a central Achilles heel, the real problem. And um, it's now not just become an area of, you know, solidity, but one of absolute strength and a key weapon in their attack and armory. So that's a big, big factor for me. 
I'm Sam Walton, and you're listening to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Seen a few comments uh, coming through. Um, some people still with give Wales credit. Uh, apparently, thoroughly awful. Uh, <laughs> some of the uh, the consensus in the comments. You won't please everyone. Um, talking about us. <laughs> they could well be. They easily could be. Um, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. Andy, how long? <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't possibly comment. Um, you're not going to catch me out like that, Simon. Um, we've talked, Matt. You talked there about how it's this is a big game for for Pivac. We just done press about an hour or two hours ago. He feels remarkably calm, doesn't he? He's, he's shooting the breeze. He's making jokes. It almost feels like, in in Six Nations terms, his work is done now, isn't it? This is this this final week. He talked about it. It's just. It's getting the balance right and just sort of not overthinking and not overtraining. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, one of the questions uh, from uh, Jamie Weir at Sky Sports to, to Pivak earlier was just making the point, look, you know, you've been around a while, but this is your first Grand Slam week. You've got, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones, George North, Jonathan Davis, Ken Owens. These guys have won multiple Grand Slams. Basically, the insinuation is they know a lot more about this week, perhaps, than than maybe you do. So do you just let them kind of drive it and get on with it um, in many ways? And, you know, Pivak did make the point that it you do very much want that input. I mean, you've got Alan Wynne-Jones, what, had 148 Wales caps now on the weekend? You know, if you've got that experience, then you you are a fool if you don't call on it. Um, you know, so it, in many ways, his, his job is done. And you, know, you often hear... Uh, coaches say, you know, you, you don't do a lot of coaching at international level. You're just getting the best players in the country ready to follow a game plan and and sort of implement your tactical um, intentions. So, you know, they'll know the game plan by now. They look comfortable with it. Um, everybody seems to know what they're doing now, which wasn't always evident last year. Um, so in many ways now, his job is done and it is all about the senior players in that side taking over now for the rest of the week and basically saying, look, this is how we're going to handle it. Lewis Resamit, this is how it's going to go. This is how you're going to feel. You know, you've got George North there who's played on the wing for Wales on huge occasions in the past and we'll just be saying to him, look, you're going to feel a little bit funny. You've not been in this position before. You've got all the makings of a world-class player. Just go out and do your thing. You know, there's going to be little chats like that going on all week uh, in camp. And as you touched on, Ben, Lewis Rees-Sam, it's the only one in, in the side who, who hasn't won a Grand Slam. Um, but ultimately, he doesn't look short on confidence and and it doesn't look like he's going to, um, you know, lose his way to the line anytime soon. So, you know, I think Wales are in a good place in that sense. There's a lot of experience in the side, as we've touched on, and, and it does stand the team in good stead um, heading out to Paris. If you look at it, Matt, I think he's handled himself pretty well throughout, you know, in good time and bad, isn't he? But you think about it, things were really stressful going into this campaign. Four defeats out of six in the autumn. And then just before he's about to start, the last thing you need, you have the Josh Adams episode where he's obviously suspended following um, breaking the COVID regulations. And, you know, you, you thought to yourself, well, what else could go wrong for Pivak? But I remember the, the press conference, the Zoom call, when he was dealing with that. I just thought, difficult situation. He just handled it really well, spoke sensibly. And I just think he's he's come across this as somebody who's, who's quite calm in difficult situations. I remember when he was at the Scarlets, it was a tricky start he had there as well. 
don't think he won everybody over in the dressing room initially, but he stuck at it, stuck to his ways. And I, I was talking to um, a couple of um, people who were involved when he was brought on board, and one of the big factors for them then was his man management skills. You know, I think it was recognising that Stephen Jones had a big, big element to play on the coaching front as well. But Pivac, one of his big strengths is man management. And management can, can seep its way into the kind of discipline we talked about. You know, we've seen in the past where, you know, Dan Bigger and, and Liam Williams have perhaps got a bit over-animated and over-excited during matches. And you can sometimes lose the plot when that happens. They've been pretty calm and collected and controlled. Just look at Dan's cross-kick against England. He's, he's been on the money. There's been no real issues there. And it just seems how much of a part Pivak's man management has played in that is difficult to know. But you've got to say that under his regime, people like that, you know, there's a real calm and control and assurance of the performances. And I'm sure part of that stems from the, the kind of mindset and the mantra that comes from the coach. So hats off to him, really. Yeah, think- just, to, just to back up Simon a little bit as well, you know, I think everybody sort of felt at the start of the tournament, didn't they, when the Adams stuff was happening, kind of started to feel sorry for Pivak. And it was a bit of a case of, you know, this is the last thing he needs. And and I have been in, impressed with the way he's handled it, you know, especially in the autumn as well. He was asked some he was asked some very pointed questions about his future. You know, it was put to him on more than one occasion that people were calling for him to go. Um and he's handled it very well. And um, you know, at the moment everything's coming up rosy for him, isn't it? Um but just to follow up on another point that Simon's made, we you know, I was told you know, before the before he took over, that he was a good man manager, but would need good coaches around him. Um, now, we, obviously, the suggestions are now that he's beginning to trust that coaching staff a little bit more, pull himself back, and maybe not feel like he has to have you know a hand on everything. And and maybe that bit of trust is is now starting to to prove dividend. But um, you know, I think the way it's gone so far, you know, I think he, in a way, I think he deserves it because. You know, the autumn, as we said, and, you know, the start of, well, the build-up to the Six Nations campaign was basically dominated by chat of, if the Six Nations doesn't go well, you could well be out of a job. So, you know, the way that this has been turned around by him and, and the players, I think he deserves a lot of credit for it. The other thing, Ben, is I think he's able, because of his background, the life that he's had, he's able to put rugby in its proper perspective. And, you know, yes... You may be under pressure, teams losing. But when you've been a policeman dealing with someone who suffered a you know, family bereavement or an accident, a road traffic accident or something like that, and you have to go and knock on the door and tell them that kind of thing, and you have to deal with some of the incidents he probably had to deal with in New Zealand. I talked to him a, bit, a fair bit about this over the years. And he says, after that, rugby's important, but it's not the most important thing in the world. And he lived a lot of his life dealing with really important things, serious things. And it's enabled him to sort of keep a calmness about rugby because it is, it is a livelihood. Yeah, but it's also a game and entertainment. And I think that level of headedness has really served him well. I mean, as well, probably when he had to make the decision about Byron Hayward, that was a difficult one, wasn't it? You know, and made the decision, made the man management decision. He was close to Byron. It would have been hard, but it's been proved right. The defences under Gethin Jenkins has really blossomed. And to be honest, you know, if you look, look through it now, it's easy with hindsight for them to kind of say, oh, no one listened to us in the autumn when you were losing games, so it's understandable. <laughs> but with hindsight, what they're saying does make sense. Autumn, building depth, Six Nations winning. And they've ticked both of those boxes, haven't they? So fair play. 
No, so you know, I've spoken to to, to Pivak's sons, and you know, the stories about him as a police officer, you know, like dealing with dead bodies, and even in Fiji, the sort of what they saw out in Fiji in terms of the livelihood there does put it in perspective. But it's interesting because it comes down to momentum, which is that the the, the biggest of buzzwords in Welsh rugby. You know, you, you think back of all the successes Wales have had over the the last sixteen years. I think it's been dubbed sort of the you know it's the, it's, the, it's the second golden generation, isn't it? This last sixteen years, and it's all been built on sort of building momentum early in campaigns. Obviously, in the autumn, Wales didn't have that momentum because they were chopping and changing week in, week out. Now they've had it. And, and Rhys Patchell spoke really well, I think, a couple of weeks ago before the England game. And he said that what Pivak does really well is when they start to, when a team starts to get a bit of momentum underneath him, he puts the onus on the players' responsibility and it starts to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It, it feels like this is now what they're destined to do. And I guess... You know, we've seen that, haven't we? It's just been one thing to the next in the Six Nations, and they just got on with the job. Yeah, Wales, are, uh, particularly under the under Gatlin in the last few years, became a very difficult team to stop when they got on a roll. Um, you know, it's why Gatlin felt uh, emboldened to, to to say if they beat France in the first game in 2019, then they'd go on to win the championship. Um, that's a pretty big statement for a coach, but it speaks that he was speaking like somebody who just knew what these players were like. And we've seen it so many times before. They, they overcome that first game, which is usually a tough game for Wales. They typically they don't get you know the likes of Italy first. They normally have a tough game to overcome, win that, and then it breeds confidence. Um, you know, this time round they looked at the fixture list and they said, right, we've got Ireland first, tough game, and we've got a six day turnaround and an away trip, which I think is the first time, uh, you know, in a very very long time, maybe even the first time ever. I think I was told that. Wales had a six-day turnaround before an away game before, so they had to manage that. Um, then, of course, they had the, I think it was the seven injuries after the Ireland game. You know, they took a completely different looking team up to Murrayfield and it became about just getting through the game. They got a bonus point and suddenly it's confidence and it felt so much like the 2019 campaign where they got through the first two games without playing well. Then you have England next at home in Cardiff. No fans, of course, but you know, not a game that any Welsh player will want to lose. And and they they blew England away. You know, that final quarter of the match, Wales were never going to lose. And like I said to you before, they put 40 points on on everybody's tip to win the championship. So, you know, once they get moving like this, there's just so much know-how and experience now in this side that you don't see them blowing opportunities very often, which is why, and, I'm, and you know, France are an incredible side when they get moving. There's so much sort of creativity and power, particularly behind that forward pack, which is an absolute brute of a forward pack, um, that they do pose so many threats. But, and I think it is Wales's biggest challenge so far, but you can take confidence if you're a Welsh fan out of the fact that when Wales do get rolling like this, you don't really see them mess it up all too often because they've got so many players now who have done it so often. Absolutely. Um, we haven't, we haven't spoken much about France. Yeah, I was going to say one other thing. You know, you've got to remember that you know, Pivak operated during a coup in Fiji. I know Welsh rugby gets quite volatile at times, but you know, compared to doing that, you know, it's a, it's a walk in the park, this, isn't it? He, he's a man who can keep his calm in adversity, I think we can say we're never far away. Um, <laughs> uh, we haven't talked much about France yet. Um, as you said, this this is Wales's biggest test of this tournament. Um, 
and if they did win in Paris, it, it'd probably rank as, as as one of the great Welsh victories. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one. What, what, what do we think of the, the French team? Um, it's, it's an unchanged start in 15 from the one that lost at Twickenham last time out. There's a few changes on the bench. I, I don't notice they've gone from a 6-2 split to a 5-3 split. So probably not as worried about our pack as they were England's. Um, how, how do we see them reacting to, to last weekend, the, the, the yeah. defeat? I, I, I went through that tape very closely last weekend to do a kind of piece about, I guess, what Wales can learn from what England did to France and um, what fragilities there might be with Le Bleu and what strengths they have. I mean, the strengths are abundantly obvious for everyone to see. You only have to look at that set-piece try um, for Penno in the first half. I mean, I think it's, it's the try of the championship for me. And to have so many working parts operating at that, it, it literally was a training ground move executed to perfection. I haven't seen one like that many times in my life. It was just extraordinary try, really. And I just, you know, there's not many times from a set-piece move you can look at the defence and say, well, there's nothing they could have done. That's how good it was. So that's their strength. You also saw it within 65 seconds of the kickoff where they just kept the ball. Petit Jean-Ral, you know, Dupont just ran the show, kicking off his runners at the end. Then a missed pass, creates the overlap. Chip of the top from Teddy Thomas, who's first to react to Dupont again. You know, he's a magnificent player. So those are the threats. But you kind of knew about that. So the more interesting bits was, well, how did England beat them? Well, in a way, it was it was like brutally simple in the second half. They didn't allow France to have the ball in the English 22 once during the entire second half. Now, you know, if you're up against a team that's got such potent attacking threat, how do you deal with them? Well, keeping them out of the kill zone for the entire 40 minutes isn't a bad way, isn't it? But obviously that's easier said than done. I mean, so how did England do it? They did it with like ferocious in-your-face defence. Every time then France got within a sniff of the 22, they were knocked back and there were key, key set-piece moments. There were a couple of lineouts with France just on the edge in the English 22. Um, one which Toje picked off, brilliant athleticism. So maybe that's something for Wales to look at in terms of targeting and challenging the French attacking lineup. And then the, the next time they were there, lovely ball off the back into midfield through the Vakatawa, their big power runner. And literally within about two metres of finally getting into that 22, he was smashed back by a double tackle from Farrell and Slade, the two centres. And I think that's something you're going to have, need to see from Jonathan Davis uh, and from George North as well. So this, that's key elements to me, ferocity and attack challenging their set piece because the French drum did creak a couple of times, gave away a couple of penalties, crucial points in the second half. And it's obviously been absolutely switched on to their attacking threat. And then finally, you stop in DuPont. Matthew uh, asked the question of Pivak in the press conference. How do you stop DuPont? This was his easier question to ask than answer, really, isn't it? <laughs> but, I, but what England did do to him a couple of times, in particular, if you remember, Curry charged him down from a line-out. And I think that is the key, just swarming upon him putting pressure on him, and then he does become human and he does mis- make mistakes. And I think Navidi in particular will have a key role. You know, look at the dreads of destruction all over DuPont, I think, over the weekend. And if you can keep him quiet, then Wales will have a, have a real chance. As mentioned, you asked about DuPont. You also uh, pointed out that Wales have conceded most of their points in that second quarter um, before half-time, and France have scored most of their points in that second quarter, which isn't isn't a great mix heading into the weekend. Although 
France tired in the last 20 and Wales tend to, to, to get points themselves in the last 20. So I guess these things even out. But how, how do you see that battle going? Yeah, I was quite I was quite surprised to read those stats, um, but you know it, it was interesting, and Wales Wales are clearly aware of it because Pivac had a bit of a smile on his face when when I raised the prospect uh, or raised the statistic with him. Um, so it's a bit of a concern that they do tend to lose control of the half the way they have done at times. Um, but I think you know I was on a podcast with a French journalist last night, and she raised a very good point. You know. In the in the sort of build up to that England game, France has spent a lot of time with a lot of players recovering from COVID. Um, now, you know, you don't know don't know how how various individuals were impacted by it. You know, some people some people get it and, and don't really feel the symptoms. But you know, there's every chance that some of them were un, a bit under the weather. And I think maybe you perhaps saw a bit of that in in the the final twenty minutes of Twickenham. Perhaps it did take its toll a little bit. You know, it was a team that that had been recovering from illness. Um, so I think that that was probably a factor. Um, but the reason I asked Pivac about Dupont as well is because I was asked the same question on that podcast last night about how you stop him. And as Simon alluded to there, just keep the ball. Like if he hasn't got the ball, he can't do anything. Um, and I know that is like easier said than done at this level. Of course it is. But I also think that Dan Bigger and Gareth Davis are going to be really important in terms of making sure that the game is played in the right areas of the field. You know, if, if you give a team like France a foothold in your sort of inside your 40 metres, then they, they can start causing real problems because when that back line starts moving, there's a lot of big men moving in a lot of different directions at speed and they become very difficult to handle. So, you know, I guess the key for Wales is just keep the ball for long periods. You know, don't be afraid to go through phases, but make sure you're doing it in the right part of the field. And I think that's probably why, you know, Dan Bigger and Gareth Davis for me are going to be really important because the kicking has got to be spot on. The other thing that, um, which I thought was interesting, which cropped up in the press conference today, was asked about the awareness that Wales could win the title while losing out in Paris and how much that would be taken into consideration when they were looking at the scoreboard as it goes along in the closing stages. So I've got a question for you two. Here's the scenario. (laughs) Wales are losing by five points in the final play of the game. They're in their own 22. They know they've got the ball. They know if they kick it out, they're guaranteed to win the title. If they attack from deep, they might concede and leave the way open for France to win it. If you were coach at that moment in time, what would you want your Welsh team to do? Well, it's, it's... So there's a crucial element you've missed there, isn't there? Because if if France win with a bonus point, then Wales losing with a bonus point doesn't guarantee them the title, does it? Thinking of a four-one. If it's in a four-one situation in the final play, I think you kick it out. Ooh, if you can, if you can, if you can, if you can win, guarantee yourself winning the Six Nations title. I think you kick it out. I tell you what, they get a lot of grief if they did do it. Our fans, I guarantee you. Uh, yeah, I know, but yeah, I mean the Grand Slams obviously are great, but winning if if the Six Nations is on the line, I mean put it this way, right? Let's flip that and say Wales go for it and they lose the ball and France run in and score another try, then do you know what I mean? Like I, I would, and they, and they end up losing the Six Nations title because of it because France go and smash Scotland whenever that game ever takes place. Um, Imagine the reaction then. Um, well, it's interesting. I know there wasn't a grand slam on the line, but Ben, we were, I think we were both working at the time when there was a Dragons game recently where Sam yeah. Davis did exactly that. And he kicked it out, I think, to take the losing bonus point at um, 
I guess one of the Irish. I can't remember exactly. It was against uh, Leinster. 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 Oh, home yeah. to Leinster. Yeah. Which and you take a losing bonus point against Leinster, you know, something to take. <laughs> but I mean, and he was completely defended and vindicated by Dean Ryan, if you remember, after the game, and he said, you know, we pitch was heavy, we weren't going to go the length. But there were a lot of people taking the social media, you know, castigating him and the Dragons for what he did and saying that was a bad um, message in terms of their lack of ambition. And I can guarantee you, if Wales were to take that approach, you would get a lot of armchair critics really having a go at them for doing it. But I actually agree with Matt. I would probably say do the yeah. same thing. Because like, a, grand, a grand slam after where the Wales were in the old time, that's a hell of a, it would be a hell of an achievement. But, but that would be the ultimate achievement. But a Six Nations title wouldn't be a bad achievement either, would it? Yeah, one, one thing on that as well, though, like they, they are talking about it. This, you know, Pivak has said that they are, you know, they will be aware of the scenarios at various points in the game. But I think, I think you need to have a talk with your leaders on the field before the match and just get a clear plan in place. So I think Pivak will have sat down with the likes of Sheedy, who may very well be a fly half at this point, or you know, you'll chat with all the fly halves and all the half backs, the captains, various leaders of different departments. And just say, or maybe even the whole team, and just say, look, if we are in this position that Simon's just mentioned there, then we are doing this. This is what you. This is what you should do. Kick the. And ball what do you out. think the message will be? I think it'll be to kick the ball out. You know, <laughs> give it, give it to Lewis Rees and go the length. What do you think, Ben? Um, I, I think you kick it. The Sam Davis one is interesting because at the end of the day, I think Leinster had the bonus point. Um, so. There's no incentive for Leinster to score more points. So the Dragons could have feasibly gone the tried to go the length. And if they lose the ball, Leinster kick it out. It's game over. There's no, with, there's with, no fear with, of giving sentence to the opposition. Exactly. With, with this, because you've got two teams going for the same title and points difference and stuff like that, and denying bonus points comes into it. Wales, it's not just losing the ball and losing the chance to score. It's gifting France the score and then taking something away from them. So I think then you you, you become more risk-averse. So I think if it did come down to it, you kick it all out. I think Matt's right. You you talk about it beforehand, but you're probably also going to make a judgment on the field, look around you, how drained, how exhausted are your teammates. And it's a really difficult call. I mean, and I suppose that's when it comes to the leaders on your side. And I suppose that's where Wales are quite well blessed. If you look, there's a lot of experience there. You know, if you're in doubt, say you're um, young, say Thomas Williams, who's still relatively inexperienced, and he's the scrum half of the ball there. You know, he's going to have really experienced players on there to turn to. So will resubmit if he's caught in the corner or situations like that. You look at someone like Corey Hill, the leadership he'll bring off the bench. You know, Nicky Smith's experience of the bench. It's an experienced side. And I guess it's just Sod's law, isn't it? Now that we've talked about it, what that scenario is bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> if there is one, one element we haven't touched on. I'm going to drag the comment in because it's pertinent. I can tell you what noises are going to be coming out of the boardroom at, at the Principality Stadium this week. <laughs> Wayne, if you're in this position, this is what you're doing. Because there is prize, there's a lot of prize money at stake here. Yeah, none of you probably got the regions, huh? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we could do an entire show about that one. Indeed, we could. Um, let's move on to the final part of the podcast, then the dreaded part. And, and now that we've discussed that that nightmare scenario, I'm hoping that doesn't factor into it. And that's, of course, uh, pr- predictions. How, how do we see... Oh. <laughs> this one, go on, and please tell me you were just playing Africa with that last question and we're not getting into sort of last-minute decision territory. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've, I've backed Wales for the, for the tournament. Um, you know, the first game was difficult because, you know, there was a bit of 
you know, I was asking myself, is this just a bit of blind optimism? Um, but I could see it. And from then I've, I've not really doubted them at all. Um, so it's not, I'm not going to start now. Um, like you said, you take comfort from the fact that there are so many players who have been part of these weeks before, um, you know, they've done it so many times. I just, you know, it, it would be a surprise to me to see them lose control now um, and lose their grip of this. You know, once they're in this position, I just think they they just find, under Gatland, particularly towards the end, they just kept finding ways to win when they needed to. Um, and I know Gatland's gone now, but a lot of that comes from the players and the players are still there. Um, so, I, you know, I would I would back Wales. You know, they've, they are scoring a lot of tries at the moment. So I, I would see the the scoreboard notching up quite high. You know, I don't think it's going to be a, a close and niggly... I would say close. I don't think it's going to be a low score and niggly affair. I think it'll be a close game. Um, so I would probably back Wales to win something like 24-21 or something like that. Very close. Here's what's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to be exactly the scenario I said. France will be uh, winning 21-19. Going into the final play, Wales know that that will give them the title. France know, conversely, they have to now score a try and deny Wales a losing bonus point. France run it from their own 22. They go ooh-la-la, it all goes wrong. Louis Brissandit picks up the loose ball, scores the winning try. Grand slam for Wales, 26-21 to Wales. There we go. Like I mean, you'd be so specific in your prediction before. I've had them all wrong so far, so it doesn't really matter, does it? <laughs> don't even need to tune in. That's the only one I got right. <laughs> there we go then. Um, I think I'll make it a clean sweep of Welsh wins. I just think... You know they've answered all the questions asked them so far. And if, if they lose on Saturday, it's, it's going to be because of just sheer French talent it's not going to be a lack of resolve or, or belief in, in, in what they're doing so I just think they'll find a way to win as they have done throughout the tournament um, you're right I think it's key unsung figures in that French team we have to be aware of as well Olivon is such a good player in the back row Aldrich as well absolute workhorse and I do think Gail Fico I mean he's, he's been, it seems like he's been around forever he's still only about 27 it's ridiculous yeah. he's a quality player a lot of the focus goes around sort of Dupont and either Antimac or Jalabert um, and Vic Bakatawa with his power but Fico he's a great player and I think Jonathan Davis if you can snuff him out that would be a key factor to Wales coming out with the win I've seen a few comments saying they were expecting us to go for a, a clean sweep of a Wales Online predicting uh, defeat. So this has been a, a nicely positive way to end it. Hopefully, Ooh, la, la. That, that doesn't mean it's a jinx. Um, it's going to be would, a fantastic day on Saturday. Go on, Matt. I would also point out that, that Mr. Gareth Kilburn also pointed out that I've been right every week so far as well. So as far as I'm concerned, Gareth can say what he wants. I'd like to point out that I'm pretty sure you didn't even... Give a prediction in one of the weeks if you look at the articles. If we check the tapes, uh, I don't think you did. Watch the podcast right. back. I gave, I gave it on this very show. Well, I, oh, definitely got, I definitely got them all wrong. <laughs> I think I'm only Ireland I got wrong. I can cling to that one. Um, but yes, hopefully that's not a jinx that we're being so positive. Um, it's going to be. One, just one final thought for you guys. Very final thought. Can you imagine what it would be like this Saturday in Cardiff? Cardiff Swansea on telly 5.30. France, Wales on telly at 8 o'clock. Imagine what it'd be like in towns up and down Wales 
it would just be absolutely bonkers. And it's, it's a shame, isn't it? You know, the, this wonderful potential of shooting for Wales is having to be taking place behind closed doors. But I guess through the difficult times everyone in Wales has been through, it, is put, it has put a smile on people's faces. And I think above all, we need to say thank you to Pivak and his team for doing that for us, really. Absolutely. Um, it will put a smile on people's faces. I mean, there's going to be a lot of very drunken Zoom calls late on Saturday night. If Wales do complete the Grand Slam, as I say, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic occasion on the weekend. And you'll be able to catch all the action live on Wales Online. 